Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for November 10th, 2021. Pretty solid week. I will once again remind everybody that this is a spoiler-free look at the, some of the books that are coming out today that Jay and I have gotten a chance to read. Uh, we're, we won't be talking about any DC books, but there's plenty of Marvel and independent books. If you're curious about the DC titles that came out, Rocky from Comic Boom and I covered those yesterday on our DC Spotlight. But please remember that on the DC Spotlight episodes, everything is uh, fair game. So there are spoilers if you haven't had a chance to read the books. And it was a pretty solid week for DC. Uh, I think Joker was probably my favorite. Um, we had the first issue of a new Robin and Batman title that tells the early days of Dick Grayson from kind of his perspective. That was good. And uh, also Justice League Last Ride came to a conclusion with number seven, which was uh, really fun. And that entire series has the, some of the best artwork of uh, Miguel Mondoca's career. So I definitely recommend you checking that out. But uh, we're here to talk about non-DC books, as I said. So we're going to kick it off with some Marvel. Uh, and when I was getting the books ready to talk about, like I immediately put this one on the list before Jay even told me because I knew he was going to want to talk about it. It's Revival Part 2 of 6. It's the second story arc for the Alien title, Marvel. Uh, you know, they bought Fox and Aliens is a, a Fox property. And so when the license ran out over at Dark Horse, Marvel's taking it over and they put it in the hands of a writer who is a huge Aliens fan himself, just like the rest of us. And I'm glad he, they did, because every time I read this book, I'm, it's so obvious to me that this writer is a huge fan of Aliens, just like we are. So the writer is Philip Kennedy Johnson. The art is by Salvador La Roca. Colors are by Guru EFX. And the letters are by Clayton Cowles. So uh, Revival 2 of 6, Jay, what did you think? It was pretty good. I, uh, I guess, how's it go? I guess when you look at the, uh, the first one, you're like, I was expecting a lot more words in it. <laughs> I guess because I mean, he's a good writer. I mean, you Rick Moreno, you're like, Hey, it should be a lot of mute potatoes, but I, I, I didn't get that in the first issue. The second one, it's like, it's almost the same thing. I'm not complaining. I'm not really complaining about it, but I did have to do some research because they never ever mentioned the, the main character in that. So his name is, Let's see. Writer's uh, thirst. Um, Sonny. His name's Sonny. Because <laughs> I guess it's because it's not. They don't mention it. So I had to look it up. It's pretty good. Uh, he was in the first issue. We know that he went to visit some friends, but uh, they were already deceased. Uh, he does some research in this one to kind of figure out, you know, what's going on. And uh, I guess the main villain. We find out who it is. Wait, are you talking uh, about alien? Alien? Oh, which one am I talking about? No, we're talking about Alien, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so tired, too. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Alien. All right. I'm sorry. Going back to Alien. It's on the planet. From the last issue, we know that they're uh, Jane, the the person that started the whole little uh, cult of this uh, moon place. She saw the alien. Nobody believes her. Uh, so we start off with this issue with the funeral. And I guess they realize, you know, that there's something wrong with her, uh, you know, that, you know, she's sick and she thinks that she was betrayed, but she wasn't. And uh, people still don't believe that there's any, well, she saw what she saw. They thought it's because of, because she, because of the sickness that she's seen this. But as we know, uh, they start 
to rebuild a little in, in, at night for some reason. I don't know why you would do that, but they meet the uh, the alien. And then from there, it just kind of becomes a little small bloodbath. The ending's really good. I liked it because, I mean, they can't, I guess every storyline's got to have one of these in there. <laughs> but we find out someone isn't who we think we think they are. And the ending was probably kind of a cliffhanger. But being an alien fan, I kind of see what's going to happen because of the character. But we'll see, because I don't think it's going to happen the way the, the, the traitor thinks it's going to happen. If you know what I mean. I mean, I don't want to give away the ending, but I mean, I think you're, you're kind of catching what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like I, I'm, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I think, you know, we're, there's been hints dropped by Philip Kennedy Johnson all along that there's something more than meets the eye. You know, th- this is further past the alien movies. We already know, you know, about the alpha that we saw in the first arc. We had the one shot that, Kind of, he's been dropping these breadcrumbs that the, the xenomorphs are evolving and becoming more than what we've seen in the movies, and so I like that that he's kind of expanding the mythos. Um, but it is it is sort of frustrating. It, this issue, I I liked it, and I think the Salvador Larocca art is fantastic, um, and the color work that Guru EFX does gives a bleakness to it that sort of helps with the desolation and the feeling of helplessness. You know, these guys are out on this planet. Help is not, it can't get there quickly. You know, they're in enough trouble when the supply ship that brought the alien, they didn't, they don't know about the aliens, but the supply ship that was supposed to be coming to give them supplies for the next three years crashes. They have no supplies. So they're in bad enough straits, like forget about the fact that there's xenomorphs they're about to discover. They're already in enough trouble. And so that color at, you know, that the Guru EFX puts in the comic adds to the bleakness and the sense of kind of desperation. But here, here's the thing that if I have a nitpick about the comic, it falls into that trope where this is science fiction, right? So you can, you know, fly out there to, to, and colonize other planets and, and you know, science is, is far in advance of anything that we have here. There's all these crazy things that if we were to see them now in present day, we would, it would be like unto a miracle, right? Like it's advanced science, but all these people, when you say, Oh, there could be this, you know, quote unquote monster. It's not really a monster. It's an alien. It's a xenomorph. It's a, you know, it's, it's an, an, an another being another different sort of species of, of being that happens to be very lethal to humans. And nobody ever wants to believe it. You know, it's like you're out there in space, man. You're colonizing space. Like it's vast to think that we're the only living organisms. And if we encounter any other organisms like in Stargate or uh, Star Trek, they're going to be humanoid. They're going to look like us. It's the biggest fallacy in science fiction. In my mind, we're much more likely to run into something that's going to kill us and could be a microbe it could be you know something that's even beyond our perceptions so it's not that far-fetched to think that you're going to run into something that's you know crazy and lethal and is just going to kill you as soon as look at you but every time in these science fiction movies and this comic when somebody says oh i saw this horrible thing nobody ever believes them it's just once i want some somebody to write a story where one person goes oh i saw this horrible thing and everybody else goes 
oh, we knew it was going to happen someday, but no, it never goes that way. It always goes, ah, that person's crazy. <laughs> so it's kind of funny when you think about it, you know? I mean, yeah. am I right or am I wrong? Yeah, it's true. But it's just like, it seems like Waylon's always uh, knows what's going on. They're like, they're like, ooh, let's get it. Yeah, well, yeah, because, well, <laughs> to the, well, to their credit or uh, in their favor is, is, you know, they already know the aliens exist. <laughs> And they, oh, yeah. kept, and they kept it a secret. You know, if they told everybody, I don't know, maybe there's panic and you don't want to go down that path. But uh, yeah. So anyway, it, it's still an interesting story. I didn't like the second issue as much as I like the first. And so far, the second arc isn't grabbing me as much as the first arc did. But I'm still enjoying it. And yeah, the hints that there's something to come that Philip Kennedy Johnson is expanding on the mythos of the alien um universe is is pretty good so uh all right first book i'm going to talk about is called phenomics i think that's how it's pronounced it's p-h-e-n-o-m-x and it's scripted plotted uh by john leguzamo the actor uh aram rapaport joe mishik and damian slattery so a lot of writers and this is all from a concept that's create that was created uh, by John Leguizamo. The art is by Chris Batista. Inks are by Sabrina Cintron. Colors are by Christopher Sotomayor. And lettering is by And World Designs. This is put out by Todd uh, McFarland Studios. And it's it's basically John Leguizamo wanted to create uh, a Latin superhero. Basically, um, you know, he he doesn't feel like there's enough representation, and you know, he's probably right. So basically, this is a story of some Latins who get superpowers, but it's not—it's not just your typical superhero story, right? Like, it's—it's it's a little heavy-handed when it comes to sort of the the politics and and kind of depicting the persecution of Latin people by the government, by law enforcement, and and all that sort of thing, and I. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that it's it's there. And Legazama clearly isn't, doesn't want to apologize for it. He's not apologizing for it. He, he wants to start a conversation about it. And there is, um, you know, there's something to be admired by that. Uh, is a comic book the best place? Well, I don't see why not. Uh, we, it needs to be everywhere. These, these are issues that need, need to be talked about. Um, does it make for the best flow in terms of story no probably not but again it's important to start these sort of conversations and you know i'm i'm half hispanic and i'm half white i know i don't look like i'm hispanic at all so i haven't really faced prejudice for having that that heritage so i'm not really the best one to sort of speak about it um but i will say and maybe not having experienced it i'm not the best person to sort of comment on it but there as i said it, it's so it's so at the forefront of the, of the comic and addressed that at times it becomes uncomfortable and i think that's the point that it's supposed to make you uncomfortable it's supposed to make you stop and think about it um the problem is at least for me uh, with where we are right now it's hard to, th to think or to know what i can do about it like i know that the prejudice exists um i mean you know all you have to do is is you know watch the news or you know educate yourself at, at all and you'll know the, the 
prejudice exists against you know persons of color, whether they're African American or Latin or or whatever. You know, look at the the demographics of the people who are charged with crimes or who are on death row or you know that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, there there unfortunately there's not any easy answers. But again, I think it's important to to start the conversation and and overall it the concepts here, the ideas are are great. Um, and it's it it feels like a, a long issue. I think it's almost 48 pages. So it's a good start. You get a big chunk of story. Um, you know, again, John Leguizamo is not this veteran comic book creator. So it's a little it's a little rough around the edges, but I think overall it's it's worth it uh, to read. And I'm curious to see where it goes. I'll definitely be back for the for the second issue. The the art from Chris Batista is pretty solid. It, it's very classic comic book art. Sotomayor gives it some. Uh, it's not completely primary colors, but bright enough that it, it also helps to make it feel like a classic uh, superhero comic. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see where it goes. So. Not, not the best book of the week, but definitely not the worst either. Um, so I, th- I would say, yeah, go ahead and, and pick it up. Give it a try. You'll know right away from reading the first issue if you think it's going to be for you or not. Uh, all right. On to the next book. It's uh, our weekly Spider-Man uh, issue, The Amazing Spider-Man number 78. This one's written by Kelly Thompson. We have art by Sarah Pacelli with Jim Tao. Nolan Woodard with Rachel Rosenberg on colors and letters are by Joe Caramagna. So we're, we're still doing the Ben Riley as Spider-Man. Uh, and we saw at the end of last issue, you got bit by Morbius, the living vampire. And that's where this issue picks up. What'd you think, Jay? Um, it's good. I, I guess it's coming out three, what, three times a month now. Spider-Man is coming out three times a month. Yeah. Some, three or four times. Yeah. I think last week was the first week we didn't have an issue. Yeah, um, all thing I'm yeah. worried about is I, I don't want to rush the story. You know, I mean, so far it hasn't got to the point where I feel like the servers are being rushed or you know being kind of. Eh. But uh, it's it's I like it. I mean, you know, Ben's doing the best he can, I guess, while you know uh, Peter is in his uh, induced his, his coma. Um, I like this one. Uh, we know he got bit, um, but I think we kind of get the dark side of the people that he works for because they had that question of to help him or not, which I thought was. Okay, I thought they were. I thought this guy was supposed to be their their spokesman for the corporation. You know, he's supposed to be you know Spider Man, and they they got the copyrights and everything. So it's like okay, so I kind of feel like you know like most corporations they're shady. I think this is going to be one of those shady corporations. Well, at least the doctor is to me anyway. But Peter gets a visit in the hospital. Um, you know, like no surprise who it was, and then uh, Mary Jane decides, hey, you know, it's okay, just stay with us, and you know, we'll see what, you know, what goes from there because he actually. Did move his uh he did move a little bit um he gets cured ben um it, it, it kind of went kind of fast though because you know they they kept they uh stopped morpheus or the vampire living vampire but uh ben i guess is okay after getting a vampire bite you get a cure i guess you just go on a date <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> i guess i guess that's the thing to do but the ending of course i think we're just trying to get all the villains in here because we get a surprise guest at the end that's you know uh gonna eyeball uh ben yeah classic prince of a classic spider-man villain um if you've read the solicits for issue 79 you know who it is right uh, but before we get to 79 we have a a 78 point b-e-y i guess stands for beyond i really don't like it when they do these point issues if it's important enough to do a point issue just put it in the regular issue but anyway we're gonna have this 78 point 
B-E-Y. That's going to be some Misty Knight and Calling Wing hijinks or shenanigans or whatever. So I guess that's coming next week, followed by by number 79. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It's moving pretty fast. Um, and I, But yet, I almost feel like because they they know they have so much real estate with three issues a month that even though things seem to be moving pretty fast, not much is happening. Like in this issue, you're right. Like we, we saw last issue, the beginning of the fight with Morbius, the fight ends. We see the, the fallout of that at the Beyond Corporation, like you were talking about with Ben needing to get a cure. And then by the end of the issue, yeah, he's on a date. And Morbius is just like gone, whatever. Like it wasn't even a full <laughs> wasn't even a full issue of Morbius, but yet, and maybe because it goes so fast, it doesn't feel consequential. You know, the 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 most consequential thing that's happening right now is Peter Parker's in this coma. We only got like two pages of of that. Um, and then obviously this Beyond Corporation that that's a pretty big deal, but we're not getting any of the behind the scenes. We we have. Some gotten some in the past, but in this one we're not. So, so it's kind of weird. I, I don't like it when they put out so many issues that the story gets decompressed. You know, like uh, if I had my way, we'd get one issue a month, maybe two. But I, I really do prefer. Let me just give me my one issue a month. Um, but anyway, I'm not the editor. I'm not. I'm not the publisher. So that's that's not my choice. Uh, the other thing I'll say is, you know, I hear Sarah Pacelli, and immediately my mind goes back to those classic uh, Ultimate Spider-Man stories and issues that she did with Brian Michael Bendis. She was one of the top artists on that title after Mark Bagley left, and it was really clean art, and it looked really great. I don't know what happened to her art. This doesn't, like, if you handed this to me, and I was flipping through it, and you said, guess who the artist is? I don't even know if I'd recognize it as Sarah Pacelli it feels so unfinished here. So I don't, I don't know if she loosened up her style to go quicker uh, because of the schedule or, or what, but uh, unfortunately I just don't, the art didn't really do it for me. I was a little disappointed. And I think the color work is really bland as well. It doesn't, it, it's not in service to the art. It was a Spider-Man book. The color <laughs> should be, should be bright. Um, and, you know, I know Rochelle Rosenberg is a great color artist, but I mean, she's not the, the, listed as the main color artist so so who knows ultimately uh, visually it wasn't wasn't the best i, I am enjoying this storyline but this was a down issue for me uh, really was kind of disappointed but i don't know that classic spider villain that showed up at the end is a little bit of a favorite of mine so yeah, oh yeah i just like i hate when they do that They're like spider-man 78.2 or 0.1 yeah. and it's like don't do that yeah don't <laughs> don't do that so anyway uh, on to the next book I'm going to talk about. It's issue number two of an Aftershock title. It's called Chicken Devil, like a devil with his head cut off, which is a fantastic title for the issue. It's by writer Brian Bucciolato. Hayden Sherman is the artist, and he handles the colors. And then Hassan Otsman Elhow, or Otsman Elhow, uh, is the letterer. This is a wild and crazy book. Jay and I were talking about it before. Um, before uh, we started recording and I'm going to talk a little bit about issue one and I'm going to go get into some spoilers. I won't spoil issue two, but I'm going to get into some spoilers to give you some context. So basically this is a story. The reason it's called chicken devil is because the main character, he, he opened his own 
like hot chicken franchise where you get like these hot chicken sandwiches. And he partnered up with an old friend. And for whatever reason, his old friend is just one of those guys who can't stay out of trouble. And so he, for some reason, decides to do a, to help finance a drug deal for the Russian mob. And it goes sideways and all the heroin disappears. And the guy, his partner, the, the main character, Mitchell Moss is his name, the guy that started this, had this idea for a hot chicken sandwich franchise. He gets caught up in the middle of it. And the Russian mob tells both Mitchell and his, his business partner that they got to get the heroin back or they're going to kill them and their, and their family, their families. Um, and in the first issue, that's exactly like the first issue is just like pedal to the metal. And out of nowhere, Mitchell's family just gets killed. They get, they go on a boat. Mitchell's trying to get them out of town, trying to sneak them away. So they don't, uh, they don't get hurt and they, they get killed. They get the boat explodes. So Mitchell kind of loses it. Um, and he's going around town wearing his, uh, wearing his costume from the restaurant, this, this chicken costume as like a disguise and, and doesn't know what to do. He's just a regular everyday kind of guy. Um, and because of his, his partner in the, the chicken restaurants, Antonio's an idiot and got involved with the Russian mob. Now his family's dead. The Russian mob's looking for him. His life's in danger. So it's, it's just this wild and crazy zany kind of mob crime story with this guy who's running around in a chicken costume. So all that goes down in the first issue and, and second issues like Mitchell trying to figure out, okay, how do I get out of this? My family's dead. I don't want to die too. How do I get out of this? How do I like, where's the heroin? How do we extract, get ourselves extricated from the situation, whatever he's trying to work with Antonio. He's trying to hunt down what happened to the missing drugs. He's just a regular old guy who owns some, some, you know, chicken fast food restaurants. He's not suited for this at all. Um, and so the second issue is just as zany. There's plenty of chicken costumes. There's plenty of Russian mobsters. There's plenty of gunfire and blood. Uh, and it's just, it's just wild and crazy. Um, the Hayden Sherman art is very kinetic. I, I've seen Hayden do other things before. Um, and his art wasn't as clean as it is here. And I, I think that was purposeful on, on the previous stuff that I've seen him do. Uh, here it's, it's a little cleaner, but when he does the colors, there's a lot of pages where like everything's almost monochromatic, you know, we're getting flashbacks and everything's in sort of the, the, these sepia tones. Um, and that artwork's just really kinetic with some really exaggerated facial expressions and, you know, plenty of, of gunfire and explosions and bullet holes and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, Brian Bugiletto is somebody who's been on the show before. Uh, he's a, cr a creator that I, I think is very talented and it's somewhat overlooked. And, and this is just a fun book. It's just a wild, crazy, like no, hold, no holds barred crime story. You know, like um, it, it kind of reminds me of that movie Smoking Aces. If, if anybody's ever seen that where everything is just loud and gunshots, and everybody's trying to kill everybody. And it's just you never know what's going to happen from one scene to the next. And you never know what's going to happen with chicken devil from one page to the next. So uh, three more issues of this. I'm, I'm in for sure. I mean, this, 
this uh the story just brings a smile to my face so uh, i know you've been reading it too jay are you enjoying it as much as i am oh yeah because it's like you know <clears throat> if it's like the same thing what happened to the punisher but he was training he knew what he was doing this guy is just <laughs> yeah. has no clue he's just a regular yeah. dude that has no idea of, about anything and you can just yeah. tell like, he's trying to do this and hide this and do this like oh my god everything Doug, he's doing is wrong man yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Like, yeah, a, Pun- a Punisher comic, but remove the Punisher and just put in a random guy off the street. And it's just, yeah. just imagine everybody around him gets killed. And somehow he's, you know, the only one that somehow survives. But he's kind of bumbling and, and incompetent when it comes to this sort of thing. And I, and God, I mean, who wouldn't be, right? I mean, nobody's trained for that kind of thing. So it's fantastic. Uh, all right. On to another Marvel book. Uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, issue number 32. Uh, This is written by Saladin Ahmed. Christopher Allen is the artist. Guru EFX does the colors. Corey Petit on letters. Uh, And this is the the second part of the, I guess, the Taskmaster storyline. We saw Taskmaster last issue show up. He's one of my favorite all-time Marvel villains. And he showed up and and kidnapped Miles Morales' girlfriend, Tiana Toombs, Adrian Toombs' niece, otherwise known as Starling. Um, and we don't know why she was kidnapped, but that's where this issue uh, picks up. So what'd you think, Jay? Well, like I said, I, I read this because uh, you've been hyping up you know, Miles Morales. I was never a fan when he first came out, but I was like, oh, okay, I'll check it out. But the artwork, without a doubt, is phenomenal. I know you don't like the uh, costume too much because it's kind of like, you know, it's not tight-fitted. It's just kind of loose. But I think for this character, it kind of works. Uh, you know, I, I think he feels more uh, at ease with that kind of, you know, outfit on. The artwork, like I said, is just gorgeous. Um, <laughs> you're right about Taskmaster. I know he's been one of those bad guys that, you know, we enjoyed growing up, you know, seeing him him being here and there. But I guess with the whole movie, you know, they kind of, you know, made him be the forefront bad guy in a lot of yeah. uh, t- titles but it was so funny because like i said uh sterling was uh, kidnapped and i guess she's put in this machine where she's just kind of like you know uh dreaming she kind of but he, he doesn't kill her or anything so you know that's not the mission that he that he was getting paid for uh of course miles is her from the last battle so he gets a little bit of help in this one Taskmaster in this whole issue could have took both these characters out without hands down without no issue with no problem, you know. I don't want to give away the spoiling. Yeah, but, yeah. I don't want to give away the spoiling, but it's like he kind of his a clock goes off, and that's that's it. I'm like, what? Because there was that because he had you know I don't he had a timeline, and he yeah, that was it. And that's the way it ends. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely and, something more than meets the eye going on, and I. I have a feeling that maybe we haven't seen the last of, of Taskmaster. And, and I hope we haven't, because I think tax, Taskmaster makes a good a good villain for um for Miles. Yeah, and he gets he gets he gets like a new or a new feature to his like he, he copies people's ability, so now he has a new ability at the, at the end, which I thought was kind of funny. He's like, of course he does. Yeah, of course he does. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I feel like Taskmaster for as powerful as he is, Marvel has always played him as kind of a joke, like kind of a funny character for kind of comedic relief because really when you think about it he should be almost the most powerful character in the marvel universe because he can mimic anybody else's powers you know obviously if he mimics the hulk he's not going to have the level of strength that the hulk has but 
but still, you know, if you watch his Captain America fight and watch his Daredevil fight and watch his Black Widow fight, he can incorporate all their fighting styles and he would be a better fighter than any one of them. Um, but yet, whenever he's gone up against an A-lister, like if he was going up against Peter Parker, I would expect Peter Parker to take him out relatively quickly. But Miles isn't Peter Parker. Miles is less experienced. So that's why I feel like the matchup is good. Uh, as far as the costume, it's growing on me. Like I, I'm starting to get used to it and like it a little more, but yeah, I still don't like how, how loose fitting the kind of the jacket, like the torso is. Cause I just feel like if, if you're, if you're miles and you're doing all kinds of acrobatic maneuvers and um, I just, I think something skin tight would be better as opposed to something baggy that would kind of constrict you, but I don't know. That's just me. Uh, but I will, I will agree. Like I said, last issue or the first issue that I saw Christopher Allen's art, that it was a little inconsistent, man. He cleaned it up from one issue to the next really, really well. And the color work uh, is fantastic in this issue as well. The whole issue takes place at night, um, but there's still plenty of bright colors and electricity and explosions. And yeah, it was a, it was a really solid issue. I, I enjoyed it really fast paced too. Um, a lot of action It was over before it, like what that was it okay can't wait can't wait for the next one so oh yeah then he was trippy though because any kind of like a little cliffhanger but yeah. it's like I was like what really it's yeah. like but i think that's why they did it because they didn't want him to he didn't want to kind of get the out of the shadow of being spider-man with the tight suit I, I i got the reason why they did that and that's kind of reason i kind of like it i guess too you know he's his own yeah. person yeah i wonder if that cliffhanger will will change anything about this this title and i know we're being super vague but if you read it you'll you'll know what we're talking about but <laughs> yeah, that, that that the other thing that cliffhanger did is it felt very classically um spider-man right like peter parker was always having to deal with just random curveballs that were thrown at him in his life you know like oh yeah um, have a good day now, and then... now what can yeah now what can go wrong and so yeah this this is kind of some of that um all right, what am I going to talk about next? Uh, you know, what? I'm going to talk about Ordinary Gods. Uh, this is the uh, Kyle Higgins property. It's from Image. He's co-writing it with Joe Clark. The art is by Felipe Watanabe. Uh, colors are by Frank William. Letters are by Clayton Cowles. I have talked about every issue of this so far, so if you're not familiar with it at all, go back and listen to some of those or go back and listen to uh, the episode when Kyle came on to, to tell us about it, to tease it when it was first uh, announced. And, and basically... There's these quote unquote gods, they're beings that are super powerful. They have their worship, they have a lot of followers, they sort of exist in another reality or another plane of existence. And there's a civil war between them because some of them don't agree with how they're exploiting the kind of the lesser beings, the lesser humans um, that live in their reality. And so as a punishment, they send them to earth um, where they're just reincarnated over and over and over. And supposedly that's what helped spark life on earth evolution because uh, originally they would just, you know, single celled organisms were a prison for them. And when that organism died, they were reincarnated and they didn't have their memories. Uh, and then over time, they sort of, some of them reawakened, got their memories and they have spent thousands of years trying to get all five of them together. All five of the gods that were the original rebellion to be awakened and aware of who they are in their current incarnation as a human um, and see if they can find a way back to their reality or their universe or whatever you want to call it and uh, overthrow the other gods that banished them in the first place. 
So that's the concept. Very, very high concept. Very interesting. A little bit of Highlander, a little bit of um, sort of Game of Thrones. What's kind of this epic struggle for power and whatnot. Um, and especially the first issue just felt super, super epic. Since that first issue, because we've been focusing on these gods as they are now, as, as they're these humans with some limitations and very diverse, you know, one of them's a teenage boy, another's an old white lady. So one of them's a dog. So it's, it's a diverse cast. But as we're focusing on that, what it's done is it, it feels like it's shrunk the scope of the story a little bit. We, so far in the first few issues, we've only had a couple of glimpses of that other reality of that other world. And I feel like when we get glimpses of that and learn a little bit about that and the way that works, it helps to keep the scope feeling bigger grander, I guess would be the word. And I like that more. Um, but that's not to say I'm not liking what uh, Higgins and Clark are doing here, because what they're doing is they're making it a very emotional story and they're, they're grounding it in not only the feeling of desperation that these gods have to come together and to be awakened with the knowledge that they need to defeat their enemies, but they're doing it in the context of what is the history? Who have they incarnated as throughout history? Because some of these gods have been, it's been hinted at that they've been famous historical figures, Joseph Stalin, Benjamin Franklin, that sort of thing. So you have that context, plus you have whatever baggage they're carrying with them as they've awakened in their current life. Like, you know, the main character here who was, you know, just this 20 year old African-American who was just starting out in life, trying to figure out who he was going to be in his life. Christopher is his name. And the other aspect of it is they're still being hunted by their, their enemies, the other gods that banished them there here in the first place. They've over the you know course of these um, thousands of years, they've created infrastructure, you know, kind of like prison guards, as it were, and those prison guards reincarnate on earth as well. And they're kind of the secret society whose uh, job it is to, if one of these gods awakens in their, to their old memories, they're supposed to kill them so that they'll be reborn as a little baby and won't remember and will grow up. And that's kind of their prison, right? Not only are they kind of helpless, but they, they don't have the memories. Um, and, you know, maybe by the time they remember, they just wipe them out again. And so it's that constant cycle. So there's this, there's always a feeling in the book that they're in jeopardy. They're in peril. These, they're being hunted. Uh, they're not allowed to know the, the truth of themselves. Um, and so it's like this global conspiracy, this global group that's sort of hunting them down. So it adds uh, an air of like this this you know the other shoe could drop at any any time you know there's this horrible thing sort of hanging over them there's that tension that they could be found out or attacked or killed at at any time while they're still trying to come to terms with who they are they're trying to reconcile the the life that they've lived you know christopher's trying to reconcile the first 19 20 years of his life that he lived thinking he was just a normal kid with all his past lives and with the responsibilities that he has as one of these gods, who's um, trying to be a leader for this team and, and get their five 
back together and then and then what then what's the next step right so uh again it's there's a lot to unpack here and it's kind of tough to do and only um you know a few pages luckily most of these issues are more than 20 pages so you do feel like you get a big chunk of story but again the story's so big um that this is one of these it's i think it's one of these series where periodically i'm going to have to go back and re reread it in big chunks um so you know, maybe if you're a trade waiter, it, it, it will read really, really well for you, but I, I'm digging it. There's a lot to it. Um, and, I, and I'm not really not doing it justice. And, and obviously I'm not talking specifics about any of the stuff that happens in, in this issue, because I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, suffice it to say that the, um, the team of gods gets, gets a little bit closer to being uh, fully reunited with all five of them together but um, there's a lot of obstacles to overcome as well. Like they may have had some victories, but they've had plenty of defeats uh, as well. Uh, and the art by Felipe Watanabe, I should say, is, is fantastic. Great colors, super dynamic, like just beautiful uh, detail in the buildings and the backgrounds. And it's very much a kind of a globe hopping adventure which I appreciate, which get, gives uh, Watanabe a chance to shine when he's depicting buildings and whatnot, you know, ancient cathedrals in Europe and uh, lush jungles in Brazil and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's definitely a series I recommend. Uh, all right, up next, here's the one that you were starting to talk about earlier, Jay. It's A, a Righteous Thirst for Vengeance by Rick Remender, Andre Lima, Araho is the artist. I think he does the colors as well. And uh, I've been reading this as well. And I will say, although it's intriguing, uh, I did not do any research. It sounds like you did some, but yeah, I don't know the main character's name. And I, I feel like I'm watching the first 10 minutes of this sort of crime noir type movie, like maybe like a memento type movie where you just have to keep watching and, and trust that eventually everything's going to be explained because right now I got to tell you, I feel pretty lost. So, uh, I mean, it appears that this main character may be some sort of assassin or something. So anyway, we, we don't want to spoil too much, but what'd you think of issue two? Oh, it's good. I like it. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that earlier. I just I yep. trying to wake up over here. <laughs> No, but I, I had to do some research because, like you said, they don't mention the the main character's name, but his name is Sonny. And you're right. Uh, for as a big as a writer as this guy is, I expected, like I said, a lot of more meat and potatoes. I'm, I'm not getting it. I'm just getting little crumbs, so I got to follow the crumbs. <laughs> but we don't know anything about this uh, character's backstory. We know that uh, he knows how to access uh, uh, the, the dark web. And from the first issue, we know that his uh, friends that he went to meet were killed. And we also get introduced to uh, two detectives that are working on the homicide, Detective Green and uh, Koros. But it seems like one's like a uh, gun-hole hardcore detective. I don't want to just go through the motion. But he finds a clue that we both know was in the first issue, but he's the one that finds it. But we also find out that uh, Sonny is not the only one uh, trying to figure out what happened to his friends. Because as he goes in the dark web, he sees there's another um, target. So he goes to there, but he says to goodbye to one of his family members and he leaves like, you know, uh, a fortune. But it's like, 
well, how'd this guy get this cash? Because they show where he lives and it doesn't look like much. So there's a lot more questions in this issue. Danny's good because uh, we meet the other character. I they haven't mentioned his name either, but I guess he was friends of the uh, of the deceased in the first issue as well. And that's pretty much how it ends. They walk in, they meet that that uh, new target, and they just leave it like that. So yeah. it's like, okay, it, it got me interested. The artwork I guess, is good. I like the artwork. It fits the story, like it says. It's got that you know uh, detective you know story going on. But if I didn't like do some a little bit of homework, I would have no clue. And I think I would have got more irritated not knowing what the character's name was. Yeah, I think this is definitely a slow burn. Um, I mean, when I saw when I saw that it was coming out this week, I was like, oh, OK, I'm curious to read the second issue of that because the first one was was intriguing. It moved really, really slow. Um, and it, the artwork is interesting. It's really detailed. Um, but yet there's almost no dialogue so it without dialogue without um any words you're sort of left to try to figure out what's happening on your own without any context um but the art it, by uh by andre lima is is fantastic um but again there like so anyway i knew the second issue was coming out and i i told myself well at least i'll be able to read it quickly and that's definitely the case because there are plenty of pages where there's again there's like no word there's nothing to read you're just watching um the the character kind of you know go through his day um yeah so it's a slow burn it is a it is definitely a slow burn and and we really at this point two issues in don't have any idea what's going on um, so if you're somebody who's frustrated by things like that, I would say, wait, don't jump on yet, uh, until you can read more of a chunk of the story, but it only takes five minutes to read it. And if you do enjoy it, you may wish that you bought the, the singles. And I know the first issue sold out, so we'll see how issue two does. Uh, all right. Up next, I'm going to talk about Stillwater number 11. This is from Chip Zdarsky. Ramon K. Perez is the artist and co-creator. Mike Spicer does the colors. Russ Wooten on letters. The 10th issue was a big, big issue where the, the children of the town of Stillwater kind of rose up and took command. And now we jump forward a year to kind of see what life is like in Stillwater with the different people in charge. Uh, and so if you're not familiar with it, basically the town of Stillwater, nobody can die. Nobody even ages. So that's sort of why the children kind of rose up. Like they, they had aged up in terms of maturity and intelligence in their minds, but they were tired of being treated like they were still kids because they had the bodies of kids. And so they, they were scheming and planning for a long time and they took over uh, and kind of deposed the, the few adults that were in charge that were really, they were really a fascist regime regime for lack of a better term, um, very heavy handed. If anybody tried to uh, escape or leave the town, they just killed them. They took them outside of town limits and killed them where they could actually die. Or if the transgression wasn't, didn't quite um, merit a, a death sentence, they would just bury, bury them alive, which is horrible for somebody who can't die. You're, I mean, that, that, that's just awful. Um, so yeah, pretty, 
pretty heavy handed with, with what they were doing. So uh, again, we jump forward a year, we get to see the way things are now in the town. Um, whether they're better or worse, I'll leave it for you to, to figure out for yourself um, when you read it. But I will say this, uh, the, the drama and the, the inherent problems that come with this reality in this town don't go away just because you change who's calling the shots. You know, they're, you, you start trying to poke holes in it and, and it's pretty easy to do. Like, well, how is the rest of the surroundings going to react to this town? Like, you can never have anybody come in. You can never have anybody leave. Like, it would be really hard to keep this a secret. You would definitely try. I agree that the townspeople would definitely try because, you know, you don't want to be taken away to some government laboratory or whatever and, and you know, treated like a guinea pig. So I get why they would do what they would do, but um, just because there's new people in charge, the, those problems don't go away. So uh, very curious to see what, what happens next and, and kind of how this resolves. It, this feels like a story from Zdarsky and Perez that they definitely have an ending in mind. Like it's, it's a, it's a complete story. This, this doesn't feel like it's a, it's a series that's going to go on indefinitely. So uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see how it all plays out. And the artwork from Perez, very, very solid, um, consistent throughout. I love the fact that he's drawn, I think he's drawn every issue. Pretty sure he has. So uh, anyway, if premise sounds from uh, interesting to you. I would, I would recommend checking it out. Uh, okay. Up next, we have another Aftershock title. It's called Almost American. We're up to issue number three, The American Experience from writer Ron Mars. Marco Castillo is the artist. Wancho does colors, Russ Wooten on letters. And this is from a concept by Janosh Newman, who actually was a real-life Russian intelligence agent. And the story is based on uh, on his life. So uh, what would you think of issue three here, Jay? I liked it. Um, it's definitely not a for – if you're looking for, like, action and James Bond type of thing, this book isn't you. It's more, uh, I guess, historical. I guess it's, you know, I tell them the story of these two, you know, real people, you know, how they came to America. And I like that because it's something kind of different, but there's definitely no action so far and a lot of dialogue. But I like that. It's actually like a, like a reading a book almost in a sense. But the two main characters uh, right now, the Newmans, they're in Philadelphia and they're held up, you know, by the government. But they're living kind of nice. I mean, it's, where they're at is like pretty fancy. They pretty much can have whatever they want. Uh, a lot of security. Uh, pretty much the CIA and the FBI are trying to decide who's going to get them to get the information from. So during this whole thing, we get uh, them to be interviewed. And we get more backstory from each character, if you know, of what they've done and, and uh, some of the things uh, they've seen in their life. Danny's really good because uh, we kind of see that they're going to be relocated now. But we also know that there's uh, a Russian, I guess, uh, agent that's trying to hunt them down from the last issue, but we haven't really seen him yet. So maybe it'll be some action in the next one. I'm not too sure, but I, I like it. Like I said, it's something different. And it's, uh, like I said, it's slow pace, and there's definitely not a lot of shooting going on in the story. But I like it. It's different. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. It's, it's definitely, uh, I think I said earlier about Righteous Thirst for Vengeance being a slow burn. Um, the story is a slow burn in, in a different way. There's still stuff going on, um, 
and there's an underlying tension because on the surface, everything seems like it's going along the way that, that uh, the Newmans would like, but there's cracks, there's cracks that have shown, not least of which is that, um, you know, obviously there's this Russian agent that's, that's trying to track them down in America. So yeah, pretty, pretty interesting story. Definitely something different. Uh, all right. Next book I'm going to talk about is what's the furthest place from here. This is from Tyler boss and Matthew Rosenberg. They are listed as the storytellers. Hassan Atman Elhau does the letters. Um, and this is an interesting one. So it's, it's basically this story of kind of a, a future post-apocalyptic future. We're not sure what's happened, why everything is sort of collapsed. Uh, it looks like people live in little pockets and neighborhoods. There's kind of gangs and they, they're all fighting for survival and uh, they don't get along. Everything's sort of tribal. And the group that we meet, they hang out in this record store and it's clear that music is, is very much a, a big part of their life um, to the point where it's almost a, a religion. Um, when they lose one of their members, they burn their favorite album along with them. Um, and then, uh, there's some things that go on that, that, um, that happen in the story that are kind of a catalyst that make it appear as though this, this group is going to try to leave their, their sanctuary of this record store and go on some sort of journey. So I think that's, that's, what's coming up next for, uh, for the group of, of young kids that we uh, that we meet uh, in the back of the book there's uh, there's an essay or an interview I guess you'd say uh, conversation it's called why we ended the world a conversation between Hassan Tyler and Matthew and Tyler and Matthew sort of answer Hassan's questions and they talk a lot about how and why music is intertwined with the story that they're they're trying to tell um, and it's, it's sort of interesting because they, they draw some comparisons between um, love of music or collecting music and collecting comics and that sort of thing. And I, I agree with a lot of what they're saying in terms of, you know, certain songs or certain uh, bands, uh, you know, you can think back at times in your life and, and certain songs and bands, types of music can, you can recognize that at that point in your life, you're really into that sort of music or that band or that whatever, and that's sort of defined in those areas. Um, but I'm not a huge music guy. And so I feel like I'm not getting as much out of this book as somebody who loves music and is really into music and has, you know, this vast knowledge of music. Uh, they're going to get a lot more out of it. And there's even a version of what's the furthest place from here a deluxe version that you can buy that comes with like a record. And that's, that's a whole nother thing, right? Like all of a sudden, and, and in, in the essay in the back, hearing these, um, these creators talk about buying, you know, records and how records have come back and like physical media. Like I, I don't want to have a bunch of records um, and have to have a record player or whatever. It's just, it's just not my thing. And so um and great for people that do love it and have this vast knowledge. I mean, they're, they're naming bands that I've never even heard of. Um, you know, my, my knowledge of music is pretty limited to like what was 
pop music in the eighties, I guess. And then, you know, country in high school, cause it was everywhere. Um, it's just, again, it's not my thing and, that, and that's fine. I'm glad this exists out there for the people that, that love it and are going to get a lot out of it. Um, and so even though the music aspect doesn't speak as much to me as it will to somebody else, it's still an interesting story. Um, and I still think it has, you know, a lot of value and I'm definitely in for the, for the second issue. Um, but I, I do sort of wish that I was into music more. Um, and I, I had that interest and I knew all these bands or whatever. And I, I listened to the soundtrack and got more out of this book, but again, it's just not me. I know there are a lot of people and, and, you know, this isn't the first time we've seen this, um, like Kyle Higgins, you know, we were just talking about, um, ordinary gods for his radiant black series. They release music that goes along that you're supposed to listen to while you read the book and other people have done it as well. Um, I'm not one who can really listen to music when I read comics, especially not music, but the lyrics, it distracts me. Um, I like to just focus on the comic and the art without that distraction. Uh, there have been times where I'll put on like some classical music, very low in the background. Uh, but usually I'll do that if I'm stuck somewhere where there's other noise going on and it's distracting me from reading. So I'll put on like some classical piano and turn it way down, put in my earbuds because it drowns out the other distraction. Um, but that's about the limit for me. And I don't go around picking songs that I think are going to complement the stuff that I read. So anyway, that's, that's just me. That's my personal preference. Um, again, I, I think this is worth reading, even if you're not a huge music buff, but if you are a huge music buff, you're going to get even more out of it. And uh, the last thing I'll say about it is, is this creative team, Tyler Boss and Matthew Rosenberg, you know, they're the ones that did four kids in a bank uh, from black mask way back in the day. Uh, which is kind of what put them on the map. And uh, it's great to see them back together, giving us another uh, interesting story. So uh, I know you read this too, Jay, any, anything to add? Uh, I was kind of, I know it's the premise of the story and I was just kind of a tree because I guess they were going to put music and it's kind of neat how they put some of the, the covers of these different bands on there. I like music and I actually got a Pink Floyd first edition album downstairs along with Metallica, ACDC, Kiss, Alice Cooper, and the Misfits. I, I collect, I don't really, I'm not a really big record collector, but in my younger heydays, I was kind of looking for them. And now I probably would never do it because they're too expensive. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, I do listen to some music when I read my books. I'm, I'm that guy, I guess. And sometimes I'll play uh, some Pantera on this is some Punisher, you know? <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, okay, last book Jay's going to talk about is The Thing, number one. Uh, the Next Big Thing, part one, is the name of the issue. It's written by Walter Mosley. The art is by Tom Riley, and the colors are by Jordi Belair with letters by Joe Sabino. Uh, didn't know anybody was asking for another Thing series. I mean, I think he had a series that ran for 30 or 40-something issues. But uh, yeah, what would you think, Jay? It was, I was kind of looking forward to this because I am, uh, you know, I've always been a Fantastic Four fan and some of his uh, thing miniseries and I guess the longer one, it, entertaining, you know, Ben's an interesting character. Um, this one, I guess, is like more of a flashback. It says it's years ago. And that's how it starts off. So we get like a mystery villain uh, in this so kind of, I don't remember this character ever. Maybe I missed it in the previous books, but 
Anyway, I think it attacks. I think it's Luke, right? Luke Cage. I think is the other character in this one, if I remember right. Uh, I don't think they ever oh. say who it is. No, that's right. They really don't. He's got a. I forgot his name. Uh, I know they mentioned it, but it might not. I don't think it is. But it kind of reminds me of Luke Cage. I guess with some of his abilities that he shows. Yeah. Uh, but uh, poor Ben's on his own because uh, that's how they do it. You know, everybody takes off and leaves him behind because they got to do something important. And somehow, I guess they didn't want to take the thing with him. <laughs> but uh, he gets in a fight with uh, his fiance at the time, and because uh, he made a big stink about it, they, he got arrested. And I guess they put him in a holding cell. I guess for like uh, superheroes, or I guess they're being troublemakers. And he runs into another hero which makes sense because he's a big drinker so i guess he started a brawl or something but with this mystery character um don't really say what's going on but we know there's gonna be more to the story uh, i guess he also gets uh invited to find a like a dating website i guess a dating site so he does that um i guess he gets uh visions of the future of, of what could happen if it doesn't uh change things it's interesting like i said the, the the color work is very it feels like it's from the 60s it just feels like an older style book even though i know it's not but i enjoy it and the thing is an interesting character like i said and so we'll see where it goes the first one's kind of got me intrigued but i'll definitely look forward to the second one yeah i didn't like it um i, I don't know i didn't really care for the art um didn't really feel like i I mean when you talk about the thing automatically your brain goes to fantastic four which you know to me a fantastic four story even if it's just the thing we have other members of the team show up here it's got to have somewhat of a family feel um and this was missing that and i don't know it just didn't work for me didn't care for it. Didn't like the art style. Didn't like the colors. Um, didn't didn't see the point of it. Uh, and now, you know, I always say you got to read at least two issues. So I'll check out the next issue and we'll see uh, if it improves. But if not, I'm definitely jumping off quickly. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, just didn't 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 do it for me. So, uh, but the last book I'm going to talk about did do it for me. And in fact, it's my book of the week because I thought it was. It was just fantastic. It surprised me. I didn't know what to expect. I hadn't read any solicits about it. And and usually I get, you know, I, well, not usually, I always get the press releases from Aftershock and I usually read them. And so I kind of know what the series is about and I get preview art and what have you, but I, I, I either didn't get it for this one. I probably did, but I just never checked it out. Um, so it's called My Date with Monsters. This is the first issue, Monsters and True Love. It's by writer Paul Tobin. Andy McDonald is the artist. DJ Chavez is the colorist and Taylor Esposito does the letters. And I, it's just something new and refreshing. And I, I'm not even going to tell you what the premise of the story is because I, I went into it, not having any idea what the story was going to be about. And again, it was something new that I didn't expect. And, and sort of an idea that I, I mean, it, there's no wholly original ideas anymore. Everything is derivative at this point, but um, it wasn't just so unexpected and it felt like a breath of fresh air. So I don't want to talk at all about what even the premise is. Um, but what I will say is that the characters feel realistic 
um, you know, obviously you have to give a little bit of suspension of disbelief in terms of kind of the reality of the world because of things that have happened in this, in the world of, uh, of the, the series. Um, some, some terrible things have happened in the past to the world and reality is a little different. Everybody across the planet, um, if you're human, you have to do something and it affects your everyday life um, because of the, the tragedies that have happened in the past. And so there's plenty of that you could point at and say, well, you know, the, the terrible things that have happened in the past would have, would have caused society to collapse or there would be this fallout or that fallout or whatever, and you can poke holes in it. But if you set that aside and just think everybody could get on the same page, which I know is super far-fetched, we see that with the COVID vaccine, but if everybody could get on the same page and, and do their part and, you know, have the have life continue, have our species continue, um, but still have consequences pop up now and again that are tied into that disaster. This might be a, the world that you live that you lived in, um, and things could get better, and, or things could get worse. You know, based on still having to deal with the fallout from that and, and the choices people make. Um, because although it's this big sort of global disaster that affects everybody, there are certain people that through no power of their own affect the consequences of it more than others. And so it's about working with those people to try to lessen the consequences and lessen the, the reoccurrences of the disaster. Um, and so I, I feel like the voices of the characters that Paul Tobin gives feel very realistic. They feel very human. They feel very empathetic and very compassionate. And there's a, there's a feeling in the book that everybody is kind of trying to pull in the same direction, you know, and I wish in the real world that we had that with this pandemic. Um, and that's not to say that everybody is pulling in the same direction, but uh, there is a sense of, of purpose uh, to, to everybody in the book. And, and again, the, the relationships uh, between the various characters are, are interesting. And I don't know, it just, it, it really surprised me how much I enjoyed it. And I absolutely love the ideas of, of resolution, like the way to ultimately defeat this or end this catastrophe that is sort of lingering. Uh, the ultimate way to end it is, is in a way that's sort of surprising. And some people might see it as sort of weak or, I don't know, touchy feely or, or whatever, but maybe a little preachy. Um, but I liked it. I, I like the idea of it. Uh, so I know I'm, I'm being super vague and I'm, I'm trying to talk about it in, in the broadest terms uh, because I really just want everybody to read this book, um, you know, on your own, just, just pick it up. Don't read anything about it. Just pick it up, open the book and start reading and just experience it for what it is. Obviously when the second issue comes out, I'll be, I'll be able to talk a lot more about it without uh, spoiling. And we'll, we'll talk in more detail about things that went down in the first issue, but I thought it was fantastic. I thought the artwork um, it's detailed and it's uh, it, it's emotional and uh, it suits the tone of the story very, very well. 
Uh, I feel like you've got a big chunk of story here. Uh, we meet the, the main characters and uh, I'm intrigued uh, and I was, I was blown away. This was really, really impressive. One of the best comics I've read in a long time. Um, a lot of it to do with kind of the originality and, and the surprise I felt when I read it. I, I, again, I, I had no idea what it was about. So what did you think, Jay? You read it as well, right? Yes. And I was actually looking forward to this book. So this is my book of the week also. It's because, like you say, it's just a, a fresh take on an idea. And um, it's just it, everything. I, I got to about it. That the artwork was good. It fitted perfect. The color was good. And um, a lot goes on in the story, but you finally, you kind of, you feel sorry for some of the characters and what they, what happens to them. And, but you kind of bond with some of the characters and you want to, I'm, dying to see the next issue and see where they go with it you know because you because there's three main characters that i like all three and i hope you know the best for them but we'll see how it goes you know yeah but the ending was that i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but the back end was pretty cool they got like uh their prop like <laughs> i guess the uh with like you said the whole COVID thing going on i feel like they kind of threw that back there where the you know the government says do this yeah. to do that i was like wait a minute <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional after the book. I don't know. But then the uh, the date bio in the back was pretty funny, too. Yeah. Yeah, it was all it was all good. Cover to cover was was fantastic. So, uh, again, I will remind everybody, some of these books that we're talking about may not be at your comic shops, um, depending on which release list I looked at. Some of them were on there. Some of them weren't. I mean, these are the ones that are the publishers are telling us are supposed to be there. But again, with the paper shortage and supply chain issues and shipping delays and printing delays you may get there and some of these books may not be there so just just be aware we're doing the best we can we're we're talking about the books that the publishers are telling us are going to be there so hopefully that's the case but let me give a rundown on some of the other titles that are uh, going to be in uh, in comic shops today from awa we have telepaths number three of six that's from j michael straczynski and it's in the sort of connected uh, superhero universities connected over there about uh, at AWA with um, I think it's the resistance uh, titles previously uh, at boom studios. We have the first issue of regarding the matter of Oswald's body. Number one from Christopher Cantwell. I highly recommend that book. I got a chance to read number one. Uh, very, very interesting. Um, again, historical fiction and, uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see where that goes uh, for DC. And again, you can go listen to our DC spotlight to hear about these books. Uh, Action comics number 1036 starts the war world uh, storyline. Finally, we have Batman, the imposter number two of three Batman, urban legends, number nine, black Manta, number three of six. We're up to the seventh issue of future state of Gotham. Uh, I am Batman number three from John Ridley. Joker number nine. I mentioned that was my favorite DC book of the week. Uh, Justice League Last Ride number seven of seven from Chip Zdarsky with Mike uh, or Miguel Mendoca on art. Um, Robin and Batman number one of three. That's the Jeff Lemire, Dustin Wynn book. Uh, Pennyworth number four of seven. And Titans number or Titans United rather number three of seven for that limited series Superman versus Lobo number two, which is another black label book out of continuity that was laugh out loud funny the book was hilarious. I'm not a Lobo fan at all but I really enjoyed that uh, that issue. Uh, and then finally from DC's uh, Wonder Woman number 781 uh, over at image. In addition to the books that we already talked about we have. 
Man Eaters the Curse, number five of five, that brings that storyline or series to an end. We have uh, Undiscovered Country, number 17, from writers uh, Scott Snyder and, uh, and Charles Soule, which I've, I've been enjoying. I uh, didn't get a chance to read that issue yet. Uh, and then the furthest place from here that we did talk about, but I just want to remind everybody that there is a, uh, a deluxe edition that comes with a, a record with an album. So be on the lookout for that if that's your thing. Uh, over at Marvel, in addition to the books we talked about, we have Eternals number seven from Kieran Gillen over in the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe, Excalibur number 25, Hellions number 17. Uh, in the Star Wars books, we have Star Wars The High Republic number 11, Strange Academy number 13, and uh, a brand new Venom is starting, Venom series with a new number one. Uh, over at... I think Vault, I wanted to mention something. Yeah, Witchblood number eight is out from uh, Vault this week. And uh, that does it for the books I'm going to mention. Anything else that you're tracking that's kind of that's supposed to be coming out this week, Jay? I think you cover pretty much everything uh, that, I'm, that I collect, Aaron, but that I'm looking forward to. But I just wanted to do a quick shout out to all the vets out there uh, for, you know, have a good uh, Memorial Day or Veteran uh, Thursday tomorrow. Or Thursday, yeah, Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Veterans Day on Thursday. Daughter's out of school. So, uh, and yeah, I, I echo Jay's sentiments and, and Jay himself served uh, long and, and proudly, honorably discharged. So thank you for your service, Jay. Thank you. And uh, yeah, it's a great day to, to remember uh, all those who sacrifice and, you know, they're out there trying to, to keep us safe, both um, past servicemen and women and, and current servicemen and women. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Uh, we appreciate you joining us as always, and we'll talk to you next time. See ya. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.